Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be alive and be used by you, by your grace provisions. Father, we thank you for all you do for us, all you provide for us, and most of all for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to take sin and death out of the way positionally and forever. Father, we ask that you bless this message, that your spirit guide us and teach us right now. Help us humbly listen to what you're saying to us and help us understand your truths. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. All right, back to the series. Why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace they were prepared, part 37. So uh, my uh, job this evening, after last week's series uh, and before Pastor comes back on Thursday, is kind of get us back in the groove here with this topic and review uh, where we left off before Pastor went on vacation. So uh, bear with me, and as you'll see, um, the Spirit, you know, he's, he's, it's awesome to watch him work, and sometimes as a teacher, if you're in it studying, you, you get to see these things a little bit more probably, but how he's weaving these things together uh, from what we've been learning right before Pastor's vacation and then last week, and you're going to see a lot of principles merging, I think, tonight, even though we're reviewing. So, uh, Pastor led us to a passage about supernatural living, uh, the last Thursday lesson. And given our topic of faith recently, we'll see a connection to this later on. Um, go, go to Luke 6, 27. Luke 6, 27. And we're actually getting into some pretty exciting stuff here from what I'm seeing. Um, some things that are simple yet vital to understand that will help us greatly in our walk with the Lord. So Luke 6, 27. Let's start here. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those for whom you expect to receive, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. 
they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and by your, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Look back at verse 35 again. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And for me, this is the first time I think it hit me in this passage. The Lord's actually telling us to lend financially in some way to an enemy. And that's something that, you know, we would not even consider in our flesh. So very simply, it takes humility and faith to go forward in this calling from the Lord. There's no way a man can do this in his own flesh with proper motivation in his heart. And it's easy to brush off such a calling as we read in this passage. It's easy to say, oh, I'm not there yet. I could never do that. Oh, your focus right there is on the wrong thing and the wrong power, right? Of course you could never do that. You might say, I can't even imagine doing that, so I'm going to dismiss that for now. But is that the right attitude? The Lord is asking us to do this thing. And look at verse 27. He starts off by saying, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Those who hear are those who are humble. And anyone can be humble. It's a free will issue. So he actually has this calling. He's asking us to do this. So is it right to brush off his words in our soul, in our souls? Or is it better to humbly ask him for faith to follow it? We know the answer. So let's jump into our working framework again, where we left off, what the apostles lacked. We saw they lacked understanding, humility. We've already gotten into both of those in some detail in this series. Uh, we've just gotten into faith how they lacked faith at times, and also commitment and power. So the apostles, they had enough of these first three things to be saved. This is where we left off, you know, two weeks ago now, just about. They had enough understanding, humility, and faith to be saved. But they certainly remained lacking maturity in these areas, often failing in their daily walk with Christ, like all of us do. So, for example, they understood the gospel call, but not all the results of being saved. And they had enough humility to be saved, but not enough to never be arrogant again and to stop being self-serving. I mean, we've seen many examples of that. And they were given saving faith, but they still lacked sanctifying faith afterwards, after their salvation. So all these are identifiable patterns, and they're repeated in the apostles' lives over and over to our encouragement. Uh, and these are patterns that we can relate to, you know, unfortunately, I guess, but it's okay. And that's kind of the whole point. So on the board, regarding the apostles' struggles, this is for our encouragement as we go forward with Christ one day at a time, as they did. The Lord patiently taught them along the way, as he will do for those of us who follow him. Pretty simple. And it's a sweet message. It's a relieving message. What was that, Monica? Is that an animal? What was that? 
Uh, comic relief. The apostle struggles and the deacon struggles. This is for our encouragement as we go forward with Christ one day at a time as they did. The Lord patiently taught them along the way as he will do for those of us who follow him. Thank God. And by the way, we should have no problem admitting we all lack understanding, humility, and faith long after we're saved. We never arrive in this life, you know, no matter how long it's going to be, we're not going to be perfected until we see the Lord in heaven. So now the Spirit has us exploring the topic of faith, which he also had us into last week in our special series. As we'll see, how much faith we lack points to a proportionate lack of humility. How much faith we lack points to a proportionate lack of humility. It's really very simple. So go to Romans 12, 1. We're going to read a few passages that we left off in this series um, two weeks ago. And keep your eyes on faith and humility and how they... Um, relate and how proportional they are. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. This is the point we left off at. God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now in context, Romans 12.3 speaks to the kind of faith that endows a person with abilities to fulfill their spiritual gift in the church. But this same principle applies to every aspect of life. Most simply stated, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We'll get into this a little bit more. Go to Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith it's impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you see the point the Spirit's making? We have no ability on our own to please God. Absolutely zero. Impossible means we're totally unable there's no little open door. So whether you realize it or not yet, faith is absolutely fundamental to our entire Christian walk. Fundamental. It means you can't function spiritually without faith. This may seem simple, but it's huge. It's a huge point. Pastor gave us a trio of verses uh, to synthesize on the board. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, 
not by sight. John 20, 29. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. And Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Do you see a trend in these three verses? Notice all three scriptures basically say faith is the opposite of seeing. Faith is the opposite of seeing. Walking by faith means you don't need to see where you're going. You trust the Lord. And whether we please God or not depends upon whether we accept his provision of faith or not. That's the only way we can please him. And it's opposite of seeing. Look at Hebrews 10 verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So we see very clearly that without faith, we cannot please God in any way. Not one iota. Your flesh could be marvelous. You know what I mean? I'm being facetious. But you could be doing all the right things. You could be working your tail off, you know, in a religious sense. Okay, trying to earn your way, let's say, or, you know, get rid of your own guilt. Who knows? But God is not pleased with that at all. Not 1%. Faith's the only way. This point came out a couple weeks ago now on the board. Faith becomes the practical tie that binds us to the holy God of the universe. And it's 100% a grace gift from him to his children alone. Faith is the practical tie that binds us, up, binds us to the holy God of the universe. And it's also the only tie that binds us to the holy God of the universe. Unbelievers do not have this faith. They have faith in other things like humanity, uh, self, others, the world, certain systems in the world. They have faith. Uh, even atheists have faith. They believe something. But they don't have the faith that ties us to the holy God of the universe, even permanently. So walking by faith is impossible to them. Pleasing God is impossible to them. To borrow a point from our last series this past week, on the board, faith changes everything. Faith is the vehicle or the avenue by which Christ can dwell in our hearts. And the heart is cleansed by faith in Christ. We saw Acts 15, 8, and 9, and Ephesians 3, 17. This happens at salvation by grace through faith, and after salvation we are to guard what we've been given. We saw that at length this past week. But what's, what's being blended together is this importance and the vital nature of faith. It literally changes everything. Uh, faith enables us to accomplish the impossible even. This is why Jesus made the following statement to his disciples in Matthew 19:26. And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So it's totally 100% 
impossible for an unregenerate person to please God. And it's totally 100% possible for a saved person to accomplish the will of God because of the power granted to him by faith. On the board, this is, was the, the main point from the last lesson that pastor actually asked us to memorize. A person who lacks faith lacks ability, period. A person who lacks faith lacks ability. It's one of the simplest yet most profound things we could ever learn and believe and accept in our heart. A person who lacks faith lacks ability. In other words, you can do nothing without God. Zero. Nothing of eternal value. But everything with the faith that he gives you if you're humble. So if you believe this point on the board, you'll be set free from striving in the flesh, and you'll realize God alone can give you all power to do all things by faith alone. All things. A person who lacks faith is incapable in every way of pleasing the holy God of the universe. Impossible. On the board, only faith enables love. Only faith enables love. If you reject his gifts, his grace, then you will lack the ability to love him back the way he wants us to love him. You will also lack the ability to love others the way Jesus loves you. There's no way you can love the way God wants you to love without faith. In other words, you have to believe that he can empower you to do so. If you don't believe that, you're going to be stuck. You're going to be uh, lacking power. So we can't do any of this without actually trusting in him and his ways. It's the only way it works. On the board, in John 15, 12, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Again, even this, you can only accomplish a command like this by faith. This means walking by faith, receiving the faith to do supernatural things, therefore pleasing your God and Father. And that includes the passage we read at the beginning of class, which some people try to fake, but you, it's impossible to really do this without faith. Luke 6, 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. That's an impossibility without faith. So faith enables a person to actually love their enemies, to do the impossible. What did Jesus say? All things are possible with God. Miracles, things that um, you would never try in a million years on your own. Things that he asked you to do, that he asked the apostles to do. Think about the healings the apostles were able to do. Think about the way they preached so boldly when they were uneducated men. God used them because they had faith. And they even asked for more faith. So faith enables miracles for us to be part of miracles that we have no business being a part of. 
and faith enables love in all areas of our lives as revealed throughout Scripture. Uh, turn to 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. There's all kinds of love and examples of love situations, if you will, in the Scripture. Different relationships in life, uh, different people we're told to love. Look at 1 Timothy 5.8. And remember, faith enables love. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What has he denied? The faith. Not loving and caring for your family is due to a lack of faith or denying the faith. If you say, I can't love my family, I don't have the ability, you're, you're just lacking faith. If you trust God, and if you ask him for faith, he'll give you the power to do it, regardless of the family dynamics. So again, the principle we're debel developing on the board is a person who lacks faith, lacks ability. So think about it this way. With faith, you go from zero to 100 in God's plan. Just an analogy. With faith, you go from zero, having nothing, to 100, like full power in God's plan. And this doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but you have perfect power available to you, and all things are now possible, including loving your enemies, which is impossible, really in the flesh. You go from being totally spiritually impotent to having the very power of God to accomplish anything he desires for you, for his plan for your life. The apostles were humble enough to realize they needed more faith if they were going to live in these supernatural commands from the Lord. Now, turn in your Bibles to Luke 17, verse 1. So even the apostles knew they needed more faith. As we've been studying, they had some humility at least, even though they lacked humility at times. Luke 17, 1. Jesus said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through, who they, through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. Sound familiar? Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And notice the Lord, you know, basically saying, yeah, you're right. That's exactly the problem. The Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you'd be able to say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So even the apostles realized what they were missing. They needed more faith. Back to our previous point on the board. Only faith enables love. If you reject his gifts, his grace, 
then you will lack the ability to love him back the way he wants us to love him. You will also lack the ability to love others the way Jesus loves you. There's no way you can do this on your own. But with faith, through humility, God can do miracles through us. Forgiveness, for example, especially over and over, seven times in a day, that's a show of love that can only come from God. And he can give us the faith to accomplish these type of things. And that will only be given to the humble, of course. This also also came up in our studies. Walking in humility. The person who possesses true faith and walks by it is walking humbly before the Lord, attributing any abilities as being received from him, not from self, lest they might boast wrongly. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 through 18. Turn to 2 Corinthians 10, 12. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. If you're walking by faith, you're walking humbly before the Lord. And vice versa. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure, to reach even as far as you. So here Paul was simply saying that whatever good he would do in Corinth was a function of the measure of faith he had been given by God. And Paul never wished to boast in his own abilities, but he also wasn't afraid to assert his God-given abilities, uh, not the least of which was his gift as an apostle. Look at verse 14. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Here's a good verse to remember, verse 18. It is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Plainly stated, boasting in the Lord is a show of faith, but boasting in self is the opposite of that. But it's good to boast in the Lord. That means you're giving him all the credit, you're operating and living in faith, and trusting his provision. Again, on the board, a person who lacks faith lacks ability. And the person who possesses true faith and walks by it is walking humbly before the Lord, attributing any abilities as being received from him, not from self, lest they might boast wrongly. We also saw another passage that relates to this topic. Uh, go to Ephesians 4, verse 11. 
Again, we're trying to get back into the groove here of, the, of our main series. Set your mind up for what's to come on Thursday. And again, the um, main topic here we're expanding on is a person who lacks faith, lacks ability. Look at Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Christ is our great example, we know. He's our prototype. And even though he was perfect, how did he walk? How did he walk? He walked by faith. He didn't even use his own power. He used the Spirit's power. He asked the Spirit to guide him. His faith was pure and perfect, as was his humility. These two concepts are eternally intertwined, supernaturally bound forever. And this also came up in our last lesson on this, in this series, on the board Faith and Humility. These two concepts are eternally intertwined in the person of Jesus Christ, our prototype. It is implied that a person who walks by faith is walking humbly, that each measure of faith exists with a measure of humility. And when these things exist in the life of a believer, Good fruit results. God's work comes out, reveals itself. As Pastor shared with us last time, if faith exists in the absence of humility, then there's a worldly faith. If humility exists in an absence of faith, then it's a fake humility. They can't, they, they have to coexist if they're true, if they're real. They come together. If both exist, faith and humility, then a believer bears good fruit, which in many cases means blessings like peace and love and contentment. So the issue with life after salvation is that while we have access to such blessings, we often fail to exercise our privileges. We, we've been given everything at salvation all spiritual blessings. The only reason we don't experience them and take advantage of the privileges is we get in the way. We fall back on our flesh for answers, etc. It's like someone who loves you, who prepares a fine meal for you to enjoy by grace, some excellent food that's fit for a king, and you stuff your face with Twinkies before the meal. Do Twinkies still exist, by the way? I was thinking about that, yeah? Just think about that. Someone pre prepares this unbelievable meal for you. Amazing, amazing food cooked with TLC. And you know, when someone like that cooks and puts their caring into it, like all the flavors and all the special parts of the meal come out, and it's good food, it's hearty food, it's healthy food, and you stuff your face with something like Twinkies. That's what we do as believers to all of God's provisions. We're like, I'll go back to the flesh 
for solutions that give me a stomach ache, and I'll miss out on all your awesome provisions, this awesome food you have. Why? The flesh, we give in. We don't operate by faith. We lack faith like the apostles did. So the Bible says that you've already been granted access to things beyond your wildest dreams. And yet it takes most of us many years to see it and to enjoy the meal that God sets before us. And the issue is faith. That's the point that is sticking out in my soul um, these last couple weeks. The issue is faith. With faith, you can have everything. Without faith, you have nothing. If we had perfect, unflinching faith, though we would be temptable like Jesus was, we would never veer off course. But obviously we all do, right? So we must lack faith along the way. This is why Paul spent time explaining that while we have faith, we have to be sanctified. And the great thing about saving faith thank God, is that it's never lost. If you truly surrender to Christ at whatever point that was in your life with a repentant heart, that can never be lost. But it can be built upon throughout our lifetimes what we know as uh, experiential or progressive sanctification. So we have a foundation in Jesus Christ that can't be moved, that's perfect, right? Let's call that saving faith, that foundation that Christ laid for us, as in 1 Corinthians 3. And it's on that foundation he allows us to build and grow. And we do. We need more faith every day of our lives. The following point also came up in our last lesson on this subject, minus the heading here. Faith increases by grace. Faith builds upon faith. And even when we prove ourselves faithless at times, God finds a way to mercifully encourage us back into his plan by means of his own faith. 2 Timothy 2, 10 through 13. Turn to 2 Timothy 2, 10. Again, faith increases by grace. Faith builds upon faith. And even when we prove ourselves faithless at times, God finds a way to mercifully encourage us back into his plan by means of his own faith. Isn't that true? I mean, think all the times God was merciful and patient with you and gentle with you, even when you started turning the other way and he gave you a nice, gracious roadblock to make it really obvious for you. 2 Timothy 2.10 for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. On the board, again, God provides. The beauty of God's plan for we believers is that while we never lose saving faith, he continues to add to our faith. 
which implies we are lacking, obviously. The apostles were no different. So, our current study, what the, ap the apostles lacked, were on this topic of faith as in Matthew 16. So turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. And we're going to close a little bit early tonight reading this whole chapter. Matthew 16, 1. And I hope, you know, I hope you just go home and just dwell on faith. You know, when you lack faith, you lack ability, period. But when you have it, um, you can literally do anything in God's will, of course. Don't try to be Superman and, you know, move the earth. Matthew 16, 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus... They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it, except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith. See the problem? You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gate of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, 
Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What a chapter. There's so much in there that we've learned over the last couple of months that is all blended right in there perfectly. So uh, I might recommend rereading that chapter before Thursday night as we pick up on this subject of faith. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this privilege and opportunity to come together as your children and to learn your word. And we ask that you help us bring out this truth to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We thank you for the privilege, Father. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Amen.